Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. Alrighty, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about anxiety. And in particular, we're going to be talking about sort of nighttime anxiety or panic attacks that, that catch people in the night. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you want to hear more about me, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. All right, now let's get started. All righty, today's episode is about anxiety. What is it? It's a perceived threat or danger that increases our heart rate, sometimes increases our breathing, creates sweating. But today we're really going to talk about nighttime panic and panic attacks or anxiety that literally wake people up in the night. They're different, but they're similar than anxiety because they catch people off guard and they really don't have any defense mechanisms available to them until they are awake. So at night, one of the things that's so great about being asleep is that our guard is down, we're resting, we're asleep. But the fact that our guard is down is what allows anxiety to creep in and to have that panic catch people sort of off guard. So we're in a time period when we are just living with an overabundance of life stressors. We have COVID-19, we have racial unrest, we have political divisiveness. We just lost a Supreme Court justice who's just a beloved hero in our universe. And so we're grieving the loss of her and we're worrying about the replacement. So these are just all the the community traumas that we're experiencing. These don't have anything to do with the personal traumas that we may be experiencing in our own houses. Like maybe somebody actually has been diagnosed with COVID-19. Maybe somebody's passed away unrelated to COVID, but still a huge trauma and COVID has changed the way we have to deal with death and dying in our community or in our families and our lives at the moment. So maybe there's a new baby being born. Maybe we're trying to figure out how to have a wedding that's been postponed. The biggest stressor of all that I think so many people are dealing with is also school. You know, do we get send kids back to school? Do we not send kids back to school? What if you're a teacher? All of these things are burdens on our body and our mind that also collide with our personal experiences. So lots of life stressors. One of the things that's also very consistent with anxiety is that it comes with a fear of dying. 
So when people experience anxiety, oftentimes, if they can put it into words, they'll say, I feel like I'm going to die. Like there's this just overwhelming fear of dying. And when we're sleeping, the brain is really free to go down all the dark alleys of the past, especially unresolved trauma. So the brain is literally sort of on its own. And in the daytime, you know, we have coping mechanisms that we use to manage where we allow our brain to go and we distract ourselves from different things. But when we're asleep, our brain is on free run and it can go down all the all the pathways of the past unchecked. So there can be unspoken trauma. There can be nonverbal trauma. So trauma that happened before somebody is verbal and has words to it. So it only lives in a somatic state in our body, which means we if we experience a trauma in infancy, before having words for it. So I'll use an example of domestic violence. If we use, if a baby has experienced, has, has been born into a family where dom- domestic violence happens, in a violent event, there's all kinds of fear that happens for that baby, but they have no words to explain that fear. All they have are bodily responses to it. And so that would be an example of nonverbal trauma because we don't have words to explain it. It's just when something happens that triggers us, then we feel those somatic symptoms, but we can't explain it in words yet. I never recognize my own stress response as anxiety. Like I look back on my life and I think, you know, oh my gosh, I never had anxiety. I never, you know, I never experienced anxiety. But in, you know, 30 years later, after studying anxiety and depression and mental health on the level that I have, I think, oh, wow, this is, I do have a, I do have a story about anxiety, which I'm going to share with you in a minute. But people talk about depression and anxiety as being genetic. But we've not identified any specific genes that are targeted like the depression gene or the anxiety gene. There may be some combinations along with some neurochemicals that are consistent with anxiety and depression, but we don't have an anxiety gene or a depression gene. So I would argue that depression and anxiety are much more epigenetic than they are genetic genetic the trauma response is passed down from our parents and our ancestors and that is how it then becomes part of our history our story is potentially not because we have even necessarily a specific trauma but it's been passed on to us epigenetically through trauma from another generation or the experience of somebody in our family, our parents. Here's my personal experience with this as I've really thought it through. And I've talked about this before, but but I'm going to, it's worth talking about again. So I had a significant anxiety response after I was diagnosed with cancer. So if you didn't know I was diagnosed with cancer, yes, I had a cancer diagnosis. 
I was really, I mean, cancer is scary, period, because it feels life-threatening no matter what level you're at. So I wasn't diagnosed at stage four terminal cancer, but even so, I was in my early 30s, and it was a terrifying diagnosis, and it was a process that I went through treatment for for several years in order to come out the other end cured. So what would happen to me, you know, after I got this diagnosis was this anxiety would just come out of nowhere when I was sleeping. I would be in bed, I would be sound asleep, and then I would just wake up in the middle of the night or, or, you know, really, really early in the morning, three or four in the morning, and I would literally be physically ill. And just, it would make me just, you know, throw up, even though I didn't have anything to throw up. So I know that's kind of gross to talk about, but it's true. And maybe other people have that experience. So I want to be really honest and real about it. That was my response. And I never linked it to understanding that response as being anxiety. So I have a very close friend who I work with, who, well, one of the partners in the family is a pediatrician. Trishan, um, an MD, and convinced me, like prescribed medication for me because this was just so out of control, a really, really light anxiety med. And I was, and I was anti-med because I didn't really believe this was anxiety or that anything like that would work. But I went home, I sat on my back patio, I took a, like a half a dose of this medication and I thought, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. Like I'm not panicked. What's going, like I couldn't, I was just blown away that it worked. So really the moral of this story is that medications do have a place in mental health. Are they overused sometimes? Sure. Do we use the wrong medication sometimes for the wrong diagnosis? Absolutely. But we do know enough about the brain to get better and be really good at finding micro doses of medications that can really support people through difficult times while they're healing and able to find ways to manage without medications. Or it could be, and nobody should feel bad about this either, it could be a lifetime experience. I was able to use medication for a a short amount of time and then move into different ways of managing that stressor. But if I hadn't been able to, oh, well, like I'm okay with that. I think if there is anybody that I love who experienced anxiety the way I experienced it, and if they had access to a medication that could help them live their lives normally, that's ex- that's what we want for people to be able to do. So <clears throat> another thing that's really important is to be able to bring the unconscious story, whatever that unconscious story is, to consciousness. And I've talked about this a lot because when we bring the unconscious to the conscious, then it doesn't have as much power in sneaking up on us. It's like saying, oh, somebody's hiding in the closet and they're gonna jump out at you. Well, then you're not gonna be scared because you're expecting it. So when we're able to do that with our 
with our traumatic stories or with things that catch us off guard, then we're safer. So our body doesn't need to be on the humming prep ready for something bad to happen because we're already aware of what those things are that can jump out at us and catch us off guard. Another thing that I learned about myself when I was experiencing this just this overwhelming level of anxiety that would really catch me off guard in the night, in the late, late night when I had no, you know, um, sort of protection against it was this, this fear that I would die and that I would leave my children, you know, that I would leave my young children parentless, which they wouldn't have been parentless because, you know, they had another parent who was a loving parent and it would have been fine. But what I realized in the process, because I also had a therapist at this time, because it was, you know, I think everybody should have a therapist. So, you know, we're not gonna, we're, if, if you don't have a therapist, you should. You should go to therapy once in your life, at least, because it makes sense and it's a very powerful experience to get to know yourself through the lens of somebody else who's trained in mental health. So, little sidebar there, but, my mom's mom, so my grandmother died when my mom was an infant. So anybody who knows anything about child development or mental health knows that losing a parent in inf- losing a parent period is probably one of is the most stressful events that can happen in a person's lifetime. Losing an losing a parent in infancy or early childhood is potentially life-alteringly tra- traumatic. So my mom lost her mom as an infant. So this fear, you know, this becomes part of my not only epigenetic story, but also part of my just life history story and the life history story of my siblings. So, of course, when I'm presented with the idea, not the idea, the experience of having cancer, where do I go to? I go to my mom's story of her mom dying of cancer and how that impacted her life, which which was huge. But in reality, and this was so cool about my my therapist, my psychologist at the time was, she said, Kristen, you know, I get it. I know, I know you're scared and I know that there's a lot of anxiety around having cancer, but the reality is that your story around this is different. Your youngest child is, you know, almost, he was about nine. And so number one, he knows you. Like there's no way that your child doesn't know you and he will, children lose parents in childhood and they're able to manage when they have loving support and people in their lives to take take care of them. And you have that. Your children have a loving support system and another parent who will take care of them. And he has his own memories. And so do your other children who were, I think, oh, 13 and maybe 17 at the time. So 
And I just, it was like, aha. It was such an aha awareness for me for somebody to say, oh yeah, your death and dying experience fear is not the same as your mom's death and dying experience of and fear. Hers is really ingrained and embedded in her body differently because one, it was a pre-verbal experience. Two, she didn't have the support system in place to really pick those pieces up the way that that my children would have if I had died. And so that gave me this level of freedom to do things that I never would have thought of doing independently, which was have conversations with my children about what I cared about and what life meant to me for them if I did die. And we were able to bring dying to consciousness in our family, even though the likelihood of me dying from this was was very low. That's, that's my personal story around anxiety because my anxiety came through this dying, this death and dying fear that was unexplainable in, in my consciousness, I guess. So, so Dr. B, like, why is this optimistic? Why is this, you know, why are we talking about this when we're talking about resiliency? Because resiliency is, you know, overcoming adversity and the positives, but nothing about anxiety really seems optimistic. But the truth is that understanding and really leaning into our anxiety helps us to do things like, one, learn about ourselves. You know, life is really about getting to know yourself. So we get to know and tell our stories from our perspective and experiences. We get a chance to make sense of our lives when we learn about the roots of our anxiety and we get to change the trajectory of our children and our grandchildren's lives. That's really the epigenetic shift. You know, I'm not passing on the story of death and dying to my children the way that it was unintentionally, accidentally, epigenetically passed on to me. And that is so powerful because that is, that is how we change generations from one generation to the next. That's how we heal trauma from one generation to the next generation and stop the intergenerational passing on of anxiety, depression, and all sorts of other things that that are harmful if we don't address them and deal with them in our lives. It's not easy. I mean, there's no way around that. It's not easy. And we have to remember to be kind to ourselves through the process. And a lot of times we don't do this. I'm a big fan of post-it notes. Throw them them on your mirror in the bathroom. Throw them on your front door as you're walking out the door. Put them in the kitchen cupboards, wherever that say, be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. 
because we are not kind to ourselves. It's it's really easy to go down the negative train of I'm worthless, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, nobody, I'm not worth loving. People say these things all the time to themselves and they're so harmful. But the truth is, I think about lots of people that I meet all the time and know and I I always think, man, I love these people. They're so cool. And I should be treating myself at least as lovingly as I can treat an almost stranger. So when we learn about the roots of our own anxiety, then we are starting the process. But the process isn't a one and done. It's not something that you just do and then you get to check it off the list like, oh, hey, help manage my anxiety today. It's all over. We need help. We need help from people professionally, in a medical sense, therapeutically, educationally. So we need to know about anxiety. We need to know about mental health. And we need to know about how our body works with the neurochemicals that that put us in an anxious state in the first place. So anxiety is one of those things that we can't fix for other people. Like I can't fix my mom's mom dying. You know, that for starters happened really close to a hundred years ago. And I can't change that for my mom, for her experience, although I really wish I could. And I think that it's led me into the field of parent infant mental health and I think it's driven a lot of my passion and my career over my lifetime because that's her story. And that epigenetic trauma for her has unquestionably been encoded in me. I mean, I feel it almost on a daily basis now that I'm aware of it. I don't necessarily feel it as a negative thing as much as just a... I need to hold this in perspective. I'm aware, I'm aware that I've passed some of that trauma onto my own children. Prior to ever recognizing it as, as my own trauma, I passed it on to my own children, my own really deep fear of dying and leaving them without a mom because I lived and grew up with a mom who didn't have a, a mom and it was such a traumatic experience for her. So it, it became this overblown fear for me. <clears throat> I know that by being conscious of this and talking about it with my own children and with other people minimizes the transmission of that trauma to the next generation. So me being able to process this therapeutically for myself, me being able to have conversations with my children now about this has really minimized the epigenetic transmission of how it will play out for them in their lives as parents or just as people. So anxiety for me at times runs like this. It's like a hum in the background and it feels like fear, but it's not it's not a real strong fear. It's literally just a, a, a hum of worry from nowhere. And it reminds me 
when that when I get that feeling, and it's funny because it 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 kind of comes from out of nowhere. Like right now, as I'm on this podcast, and 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 I woke up this morning feeling super great, and I don't have any of that feeling at all. But I also know that it can just kind of show up out of nowhere, and when it happens now because I've done work around this and because this is my professional training, I remind myself right off the bat, take care of yourself, be kind to yourself. You're a decent human being. You're a good person who tries to do your best. And even when you don't, it doesn't make you a bad person. So the second thing is acknowledging the source, like acknowledging that, oh yeah, that fear, that fear of dying, if that's what the fear is, or that that fear, worry, hum, is, okay, stop and take a breath and think about, okay, what's, what's on my mind? What's worrying me right now that's pulling for this, this anxious sense that I need to protect myself? And then third is reminding myself that this is not my story that the fear of dying or the physical response is the story of my ancestors. It's not my story. So that's really, that's an important thing to think about when you're experiencing somebody else's story once you've acknowledged that it's somebody else's story. Now, I also want to say that people do have anxiety and trauma that is primary. It is their experience. And that then requires being able to say, oh yeah, this happened to me, but it's not happening to me right now. I am in a safe place. Or I can get to a safe place and then finding those resources. The other, and if you want me to talk about that more in terms of the primary source of anxiety and trauma, please shoot me an email or message me somewhere so I can really dig deeper into that for you. Because today is really about that nighttime anxiety that pops out of nowhere that really has roots in in past history. The the other another thing that people can do is to talk to someone. Say you wake up in the middle of the night. Say I wake up in the middle of the night and I, I'm clearly in this sort of, you know, caught off guard panic anxiety mode. Then talking to somebody about that, if I have a partner, which I do, then makes sense. And, and that's really helpful. But the other thing that's so helpful is to be able to co-regulate with another person. So I'm always referring to your co-regulating partner because if somebody's calm and they and you are having anxiety whether you're an adult and you're trying to help regulate a young person or a baby or a child but it works with adults as well holding somebody with you and sharing your emotional state with them is such a gigantic gift and it's called co-regulation. And it's another thing that we're missing dramatically. And I think it's leading to significant, a significant higher level of anxiety and depression because people aren't able to co-regulate in the ways that they have been in the past with so many other people. 
And some people are literally at home alone and not don't have access to co-regulating with other people at all. So this is what resilience in action is. And that's beautiful. Like this is how we are changing the future is by understanding the past, by overcoming and managing adversity, even if you can't fix it immediately. You know, we can't necessarily fix it immediately, but at the end of the experience of feeling anxious or having an anxiety, you know, wake up or a full-blown panic attack, is that at the end of that, you can stop and say, by managing this and by getting help for myself around this is making a difference for the future and the trajectory of other people's lives. And that, I have to say, is super, super cool. Lastly, let's talk about some actionable takeaways. When anxiety hits, I've talked about this before, and I, and I think it's a powerful, powerful manager of feelings, and that's music. Because music sends physical vibrations through the body that support breaking up trauma. And I know that that sounds a little bit woo-woo, but there is research, but there's also just do it for yourself. When you're feeling angry, mad, sad, anxious, depressed, and you crank up some music loud and even sing along or just listen to it and let it kind of pound through your body, that's, that is like breaking up trauma and it changes the state of your brain. So that's one actionable takeaway is find the music, pick the music that you love and crank it up. So even if it's in the, even if it's at nighttime, put on some earbuds or if you, if it won't bother anyone else in your house, just crank it up or get in your car and go for a drive. That's my favorite to do. Also, the second actionable takeaway is to connect. Connecting with people. We are not meant to be isolated or alone in the universe. We are we are interpersonal social beings and so call somebody on the phone. Find make a call list. Be a connection partner with some people who you let call you and you call them at any time of day to help you to talk through walk through your anxious experience and co-regulate if possible in a physical sense by holding, hugging, and sharing the emotional state of another person who is holding your calm for you and with you. The third thing is to recognize the root of the trauma. Say it out loud. I am afraid, I'm gonna give you an example. I can say, I have an unrealistic fear of death and dying and leaving my children early. And they're adults all now, they're all adults now and I still have this experience. But saying it out loud, I have an unrealistic feeling and experience of dying because my mom lost her mom when she was a baby. And that has changed who I am as a person but that's not my experience. 
That's a feeling that's borrowed from the past and it's not attached to anything in the present right now. So the power of saying that, just saying it even right now makes me feel like, oh yeah, you know what? I don't need to be afraid of dying and leaving my children behind because I've done work around this. And so my children are going to be great. And of course they'll miss me. And of course they, you know, it'll be traumatizing initially, but they also know I'm going to be with them forever, you know, looming around in their, their space. The same way I feel about my dad who died when I was in my thirties. And there are often times, and I've shared this with my children, where I call for my dad and just say, you know what, I really need you to just send me a sign. And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. And you can believe in that or not believe in that. But for me, it's so powerful and so healing to be able to do that. So those are the actionable takeaways. And I hope this was helpful. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you have, share it with others, hit like, subscribe. But recognize that anxiety is very, very common and there's nothing wrong with you or bad about you if you have this experience and on any level of the spectrum that it, that it shows up. Be kind to yourself, love yourself. I love you. So head out and leave a life print. Until next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now go leave a life friend.